Hi there. Welcome to another episode of the Selby is God Pat. Zach Meisel here. TJ Zuppi, are you there? I am here, present, and accounted for. And I will think about that for the next 10 years, how I responded to you. You ever see those memes about kids and thinking about, how did, did I say that awkwardly? Uh, now I'm going to w- wait up at night at 3 in the morning and think about how I said, here. <laughs> no? Okay. What? Guess you don't I, suffer no, from anxiety. Sorry. All right. Well, that's fine. Uh, no. It's the dog days of December. Um, and the winter meetings are here. And I guess like we're going to have stuff to talk about finally. How does that feel? Sandy Leone doesn't do it for you? We had some movement on the roster. You know, we, got <laughs> we, do, need, we do need to mention that because, uh, you know, I wrote a 4,000-word deep dive on the Indians pitching development that I've been working on for months, and someone commented on it and said, no story on the 40-man move with Sandy Leone? I'm like, what do you want from me, man? No. Like, sorry. The backup catcher now. That, well, what, what am I supposed to write on that? So here's your here's your space. Go ahead. Let it all out. Every thought you have about Sandy Leone. <laughs> they paid him a little bit more money than they were projected to pay Kevin Ploiecki. You were con- you were so confused upon this move actually happening. I'm Maybe that's why you didn't confused. write anything because you're still <laughs> struggling to grasp the rationale of it all. Well, look, I mean, you only have so many bullets you can fire to like Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff. <laughs> and over the off season, like you can annoy them. I can annoy them as much as I want. They're only going to reply a certain number of times I feel. Um, and I, I'm not going to waste that on like Sandy Leone. And especially, I, I guess I'm what I mean is because yes, we'll, we'll have more of an explanation. and We'll talk to people next week about what they saw in him that maybe they didn't see in Ploiecki, but Ah, it's about what Leon did, <laughs> not what Ploiecki didn't do. But specifically, when they made that move earlier in the day to acquire him, if I start texting those guys and asking, "What are you thinking? Like, what's what's the point of this? What are you doing here?" Like, that's I'm never going to get a reply on that. And so uh, clearly, I mean, we we can put some logic together ourselves and then we see well they clearly value Leon more than they valued Ploiecki that's not something to write 2,000 words about um but I'm sure we'll get a quote or two at the winter meetings next week and everyone who's been losing sleep over the backup catcher decisions (laughs) this week you can rest easy it comes down to something we've discussed before on this podcast everyone's the news now everyone is it I mean we live in a Twitter world now. Social media, news comes instantly. Everyone rushes to their phone to post the news immediately upon getting any sort of information. It becomes sort of silly on our part because we're phasing ourselves out by posting our news that we worked hard to get onto a free service that we get no benefit from other than the fact that maybe we pick up a couple more followers and maybe down the line that leads to a couple more clicks. But that's a topic for a whole nother podcast. The thing is, if you just slow down, you'll probably get the news you need at some point. And you are going to talk to these guys in a week, or in this case now a few days, depending on when people listening to this, maybe you're talking to them right now. You will get an information, or you will get information. You will be able to pass it along. We'll know why they valued Leon more than Plawecki, at least from what they say publicly. I can make guesstimates on why. We could spend 10 minutes on the backup catching position. I could I could theorize that no. perhaps Sandy Leone, they like his pitch calling ability, the thing that we can't exactly quantify to this point, right? Maybe they like that more than they liked it in Ploiecki. Because if you looked at the, the projections for next year, if you looked at uh, the, the numbers as far as framing go last year compared to, to Leone, not a lot of differences. But they clearly one wanted to go this direction for some reason, right? So it, it had to be something, and I'm just going to theorize that they like Leon's ability to manage a pitching staff more than they liked Ploiecki's, and that's going to yeah. be my final answer. I kind of like your idea, too. You mentioned this the other day. Uh, you're, you're reuniting him with his old hitting coach, Victor Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. So that's he did have a really, really good 
2016 season at the plate. Uh, so maybe, maybe there's something there. Again, we're, I cannot believe we have spent even this amount of time talking about this. Um, but well, no, you're gotta, right. Got to spend some time talking about it. After all, we don't have AJ Cole, Max Moroff, and Eric Stamens to spend hours upon hours talking well, about. Well, hold on there. We should pour one out here for our buddies Eric Stamets and Max Moroff, who have signed respectively with the Rockies and the Mets, the Indians starting infield, middle infield tandem uh, for most of late March and early April of 2019. So rest in peace to that duo. Um, what was your favorite memory from the Moretz Stamoff? What should we call them from their era? Uh, hmm. Well, there's so many different things to think about. And yet I'm having trouble referencing anything. Eric Stamets was a really nice guy. I had a couple of conversations with him. I talked to him when it was a couple of years ago in spring training when it, I thought maybe he would be a depth guy that they would call up to be their, their utility sort of guy. He had make some, made some adjustments to his swing to introduce a little bit more power in the minor leagues like we're seeing a lot of guys do. But I think probably the, the thing that stands out the most is that uh, I saw him in Goodyear a few years ago going to see a movie with Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> that's, that's what I got. I saw him out going to see a movie. A reminder that these guys are human beings. And that for every time you want to just rip them for their ability on the field, just remember that it's a nice guy underneath and you don't need to be all up in his business all the time. Do you remember who the Indians traded to acquire Eric Stamets? Was this David Murphy? David Good Guy Murphy. Yeah. 2015, the mass exodus of veteran players. Swisher, Bourne, Zepchinski, Brandon Moss, David Murphy, all gone. I should ask you, as the one of our Twitter or excuse me, our text threads is blowing up currently. I hope you can't hear the dings through my headset as I'm just getting message after message after message. Hopefully that doesn't bleed its way into the Selvia's Godcast and make me sound super important from all the text messages that I'm getting currently. No? no? Okay. Well, cool then. We'll move on to talk about something else. I thought I thought you were you had more to say than that. I thought you were going somewhere. No, I, I was just referencing the fact that was the the normal ding of a text message kept going off in my ear. And I'm doing this differently today. I'm connecting through my computer. I don't know how to turn uh, that off while also not turn you off. And so gosh, I, was, I was about to call you Paul Hoynes Jr. Who see we know he doesn't know how to turn his phone on silent, and so you Often or hear it in post-game interviews of Terry Or turn Franklin. off his, his running countdown that's going for three years now. That is true. So let's recap the first 10 minutes of this podcast. We've talked about Sandy Leone, Eric Stamets, Max Moroff, and we've had just 30 seconds of dead time as we try to figure out if TJ's uh, text notification noise is going off. This is, this is great stuff. So let's if you're a first-time do- listener, you can expect more of this for the next 50 minutes. Let's do uh, what everyone wants us to do, and that's talk about the Indians trading Francisco Lindor to the Dodgers for Gavin. Well, sure. No. Um, no, I mean, we haven't talked about it at any point before, and it's just been such a <laughs> hot topic that is so newsy because brand new things have, have occurred, new developments, that we should you probably sound like, spend some time addressing it. You sound kind of bothered by this. Are you mad online? Do you have <laughs> so a, a rant to go on here? What's I'm going on? I'm so mad online. The The... And there's no better way to phrase it than it's just the four-letter network mantra of create a news story, then ask said player about news story you've created, then write about that player reacting to your story that you created, rinse, recycle, repeat. So it's, it's a, even it's worse. The same though. thing. It's well, the same it, thing all over again. It's worse for the NFL and the NBA because that's all that network talks about. And so they can take it a step further because then they talk about that on their debate shows and what they debate about becomes a headline as well. And then it's just like this nonstop cycle. Hey, some talking head said you suck. What do you think about that? Exactly. Said player reacts to talking head saying he sucks. This is difficult 
this is difficult because I don't blame fans for being panicky because it's your star player, the face of your franchise. He's 26 years old, I think. He just, just turned, turned 26. Yeah. And, and it's basically, this is, I know Manny walked, Tommy walked, Omar walked, but he was, that uh, was different. But what makes this different is that this is the, if you're not going to pay this guy, you're not going to pay anybody. And I'm not even saying necessarily that they should pay this guy. But it's just a really harsh reminder if they trade him that this is the peak. You get, what, 2016, 17, 18? You get four years with your best players and that's it because you got you, you to trade him before it's too late. And that's just like, that's, it's really, really difficult to build a championship team if you're, you're playing under those sorts of parameters and and if you're a fan it's like well why should i ever get attached to any homegrown player couldn't blame you if you didn't want to and so even if they knock a trade out of the park if they get a king's ransom from the dodgers i I, i'm sure there will be fans who still turn their backs on the franchise and you know like baseball will be dead to them for a long long time i can't blame them and so, I mean, because that's, of all that's that, their prerogative. You have to prove, for as good as a trade can look on paper, from the minute you pull it off, you still got to prove to the fans that you got it right. And if you sure. are trading Francisco Lindor more than ever before, and you could talk about Sabathia, you could talk about Cologne, you could talk about Victor Martinez in in recent years, more than any of those guys, you're trading Francisco Lindor. You better sure as shit be right about it. And because this is the ultimate scenario, uh, I can understand why any report, even though it's, it's nothing new, and it's not just the report, it's other sites aggregating the quote-unquote report and turning that into its own headline, and people reacting and panicking to that. And it's like, nothing has changed. <laughs> I mean, you're more than welcome to live and die on every little sentence that's written about Francisco Lindor for the next however many months. I don't think that's going to be a very healthy way to live, um, but it, it's, I get it. And I think that's why, like, I hope, I hope this doesn't turn into like what Trevor Bauer and Kluber trade talks turned into last year, where we've talked about it many times on this podcast and we reported it last year when we were there and, they were telling us the story of how they were sitting in their suite eating French fries from room service and all of a sudden they see on TV that they were deep in talks, close to trading Kluber to the Dodgers. It was bound to happen. It was intensifying. And they're like looking for the catch-up. <laughs> and they're laughing. And so I hope this doesn't turn into that where it seemed like every day it was a different team that the Indians were going to trade one of their starting pitchers to. You, to. And... Hopefully that doesn't happen with Lindor because I don't know if fans are going to be able to to handle that. It's not healthy for the heart. No, but neither is stopping for Taco Bell midway on the way home at one in the morning from a long Indians game. But I've done it before multiple times, and that probably puts me in a category where I shouldn't be telling anybody what is a healthy and non-healthy way to live. Um, you're, you're right about all that. I also think it is important to remember Good or bad, whether you can look at this and say, yes, they absolutely should trade him or no, what the hell are they doing? You're always operating with only a third of the knowledge of this potential trade. You're only operating with the thought that they've traded Francisco Lindor in your head. So you're basing all of your emotions, all of your thoughts, any sort of analysis you could be doing. You're only operating with the, the, the notion in your head that they've traded Francisco Lindor. You don't know who it's to and you don't know for what. And those are probably the two biggest parts of this. So, yeah, I, I mean, we, we talked about this a month and a half ago. And I said it's ridiculous that you even have to approach talking about it. Was that about the time that someone on Twitter, Vpeluso8, no names please, uh, called me a hack and an asshole for even writing about the potential that the Indians might have to trade Trevor Bauer or well, Francisco Lindor? You're a hack and an asshole, but not for that. Right. I won't blame you that for that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's probably about the same time. So let's 
I, I know it's it's me saying let's be rational about things. I am very capable of not being rational. Uh, like every time I see a stupid football coach wear a dummy shirt anywhere and that he shouldn't be wearing, I get very irrational in moments like that. But while I am trying to pay, you know, just preach a little bit of patience with this, I understand that no one's going to be able to heed my advice. And, and that's fine. You have to survive the offseason and your fandom however you need to. And it has always been one of the rules of this podcast that we try not to tell people how to feel. We cross the line and we are guilty quite often of probably telling people how to feel about things. But I think it is important that everyone just uh, process this your own way. And if you're looking for how we're processing it and how we analyze these things, we're more than happy to share our, our thoughts on the subject. And right now I'm saying hit the pause button. Don't freak out about something that might not happen. And when it does happen, then cross the bridge at looking at what they got for the for said player. Because for as crazy as I think it, it could be here today, talking about trading a guy that uh, projects in my mind to being a very good player for very, very many years, I also am willing to admit that there's a scenario here where I look at the return package and I say, well, hell yeah, I can understand why they made that trade. Yeah, we don't need to get into this because I we're gonna go back and forth, and I'm gonna get angry. <laughs> That's the whole purpose of this podcast. I don't not? know. I I just at some point, don't you just need to like? Isn't Lindor who you? I understand the. It, it's tough because the front office. If you if you work for a front office, the goal is build a team that goes to the playoffs every year for as long as possible. It's about sustainability. And they don't care about windows. If you were only concerned about windows, and we're not talking the XP version, then you would hold on to Lindor for two more years and take this shot at it, which the perception was this was the Lindor window. If you're not concerned about contention windows, then you are always looking ahead to how do we maximize and bring as much surplus value as we can into the mix. And maybe doing that now is what keeps the quote-unquote window open for longer. But we're about to embark on year 72 without a World Series title. And at some point, don't you just need to hold on to one of the best players in your franchise's history and try to actually win a World Series? I'm not saying they couldn't if they traded him, depending on the package. But yeah, but, but, but that's also, they're not doing it just to do it. They're not trading him just to trade him. They're trading him because they got one hell of a holy shit package back in return. Yeah. It, it's not trading him just to trade him. It's trading him because they think it makes the health of the franchise overall better for multiple years. We could debate whether or not that return is actually capable of doing that, but that's the whole mindset. And I look across the way and I see a guy like Mookie Betts, who is one of the best players in baseball, and how much trade value does he really have given how much money he's owed and the fact that you're only controlling him for a year before he hits free agency. Now Boston is scrambling with no sort of great trade value for one of the best players in baseball. Hey, you want to be in that position. I know. <laughs> you're so popular. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're not trading Lindor a year from now. You're either hanging on to him for two years or you're trading him this winter. Um, so, But, but you, you bring up a good point that ties into a question that one of our listeners, Sean Sunderman, asked, which is what do the Indians realistically need in a trade to move him and what teams have the people and the motivation to do it? And I've given this thought, and it's like the Dodgers check off every box on the checklist. They're a contender. They have the ammo of young players to acquire him. And the one thing they have that maybe no one else does is that they've won the NLS seven straight years. They haven't won a World Series. Maybe they're feeling some pressure. Maybe they're desperate. And also they can afford a long-term extension with him, too. That's four things. I don't know that any other team can check all four of those boxes to me. Mm. And so that's that's why you're going to hear their name more than any other, I would think. Yeah, well, I feel like we've had this conversation before. Oh, it's because we have. That's exactly what we talked about. And they were the first team that we, we did discuss. I mean, we're not going to stop discussing this. It's It really, I hate saying this because it sounds so dramatic, but I guess it is. They're like This determines the course of their franchise for the next how Decade? many years. Decade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really does. 
they cannot miss on this, and they have to. It's not just missing on the the players they acquire. Like it's this decision trading him now or not. Like there's no turning back. If you don't trade him this winter, then you're committing to. You need to then change how you operate, how you fill out the rest of this roster, and because you're you're holding on to him for two years, so you might as well maybe push more chips into the center of the table than than you wanted to. Like I, well, if you're not trading him midway through 2020 unless you suck, unless you're terrible. You have right. no shot at making the playoffs. And they don't plan to be bad. So it's like if you're yeah. keeping him, you might as well. Like that's when I'd be really interested to know ownership's stance on this decision for a few reasons. Number one, <laughs> I'm always interested in their opinion on PR of their franchise because I think that they don't really comprehend the perception sometimes. Um, number two, it, it's if you keep Lindor and you're keeping him for the next two years, you can't just skate by. You have to do every last thing you possibly can to make sure you capitalize on those two years. You can't, you know, if you're hemming and hawing about whether the payroll should be $118 million or $122 million, Make it 122. Like, you're not going to get a shot like this again for a long time, probably. So it, it's just so much hinges on this decision. And it's, it's, it's more than just the decision to trade or not trade him. It's, it's how you build your roster otherwise based on whether you trade him or not. Someone smarter than me could probably answer this, but another tentacle, if you're talking ownership, what does this do to the value of your franchise? with or without Francisco Lindor. And I ask that because there's always a possibility, and there were reports, that there was a line for John Sherman to make his way to the ownership someday. If That is a possibility. And in your interview last year with Paul Dolan, it's not like he just shot down the thought of him, ever or their, their family, selling the team. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my personal thought is, I don't think they're ready to sell the team. I don't think John Sherman was set to, to take over in the next year or two. It sounded like to me, if, if those reports were true, that it was more of a case of when we are prepared to move on, you are right there in line to take things over. And probably when this other opportunity opens up, you have it right in front of you, Sherman jumps, and he be- does become a team owner. Um, so when you hear, oh, well, there was a line drawn f- for, for Sherman to be able to take over the team, that sounds like the Indians are ready to sell the team tomorrow if that report is, is truly accurate. And so I don't, I, don't think that that's, I don't think that's the case. I don't think they are looking to sell the team tomorrow. But I do think it's something that they consider um, that could happen in the coming years. And what is the value of your franchise with Francisco Lindor as opposed to without? I don't know. I don't know how drastically it does change your franchise, but when you have a guy that is as marketable and is certainly one of the top two, three, four faces in the game right now, does that increase uh, your return on your investment someday? And if he's not a part of the, the franchise, does it decrease? I, I, this is why somebody smarter than me would probably have to answer this, because I don't know how much one individual player can change the overall uh, value of your franchise. Yeah, I mean, that, that's another reason why I'd be so fascinated to learn ownership's role in the Lindor decision. You know, how often are Antonetti and Chernoff involving Paul Dolan in these talks? And, and it's, yeah, there's so much that goes on to this. That's why this also, you know, people are, when you react to a a report and not even, not even just not a report like two sentences in a story about 30 different topics. Um, keep in mind that like, this isn't going to happen next week. I mean, this has got to, this has to have weeks and weeks and weeks of just thinking about all the, like you said, all the different tentacles and the, the ramifications. I mean, you got to think about what it would do to your season ticket holder base. You got to think about how you would market your team. You have to think about all sorts of things. And then not only that, but like depending on what you get back, you need major league talent. 
you know, you're still competing with the Twins, who, by the way, won the division last year. You got the White Sox charging hard at you. So it's not like you can, there's no wiggle room like they thought they had last season. Um, so this is, no, no it's, certainly it's, not. There's so much that goes into this. And I'm sure they've been talking about this since the day the season ended. But I mean, still, like, this is not just a couple quick conversations with Andrew Friedman in a secret staircase in San Diego next week. This is, this is a lot. This is you agree on the players who you would have in a trade. Then you take it to ownership and you take it to all the important people in your organization. Um, and you think about what happens to our franchise if we make this deal? What happens to our franchise if we don't? And where do we go from here? What's our next move? Who plays shortstop? Who, who carries us for the next couple of years? So it's, it's a lot. And not only that, I mean, we should talk about Kluber for a minute because... <laughs> oh, I was, I, I was ready. I'm going to say, oh, let's talk about somebody else they could trade that you, I mean, oh, I know used to be good and maybe it, still is. <laughs> it's very different, but it's, there are a couple similarities just in that you still need to build the best roster, right? Yes. And the decision with Kluber is just interesting to me because you also have control over him the next year only if you want it. Correct. Like, only you have one, that, it's not a, a huge buyout either. It's one, a million bucks at least. Yeah, so it makes it based enticing. On what I've, I've you, can, you can cast a wider net. If you're trading for Lindor, you're, you're an established contender, I think, and you probably have a big payroll. If you're trading for Kluber, like maybe you're an up-and-coming team. Maybe you want to take that risk and like, if things are trending in the right direction next season, Kluber looks good. They pick it up. If not, you cut ties. Whatever. Um, and it's such a weird too, thing too because at seventeen and a half million dollars, Kluber could still be a bargain for what he could be. Yeah. And even if he is, if he's no longer the quote unquote ace of the staff as far as production goes, but if he's still closer to a three. You're still pretty much getting your money's worth on a one-year deal. But the question is, can you turn him around into something significant and, or, or even just more useful than having him around for a year? And what do you do with that money that you free up? Now, maybe you bring back money in the deal, and that's fine. Maybe you spend it elsewhere. But the, the big appeal here if you do trade him, is that you survived last year essentially without him for the whole season because he was not himself for pretty much the entirety of the season, and you still survived. And it kind of gives you some confidence because of the pitching staff, because of the things you wrote about, despite it being a hack article, you still wrote about it. <laughs> of course, kidding. Um, no, well, well, hold on. Let me get my other gripe in here. Sean Lance, who's definitely not listening, who says, you know, the 4,000-word piece that was passed around through various front offices this week. Uh, he called it a useless art, useless story because the Indians didn't make the playoffs. So no need to write about their pitching development system. Oh, yeah, so. right. Uh, only one team. He, un he unfollowed me on Twitter tonight. Only I'm one really... team at the end of the year can claim they had a successful season. I'm gonna Again, another him. topic for another podcast, but in the words of Bill Murray and Ghostbusters, ah, sent him a fruit basket. I am going to miss him. Kluber, $17.5 million. My point is, if you trade him and you bring back, I don't know, younger player, prospect, something that can help you now, whatever the case may be, whatever money they have created by making that trade, if they don't turn around and reapply it back to the roster, then what in the fuck are you doing? Yep. Yeah, but, and it's well. The reason I brought up Kluber though after Lindor was, I was going to say, if you trade Lindor, you're probably getting younger, and at that, and you probably have more holes to fill, aka shortstop. I'd it would probably give me more motivation to trade Kluber to try to fill some of those holes as well, and or clear up a little bit of cash to sign some free agents to fill those holes. Now, if if you're telling me that you you move you're moving this money around to create. Some extensions for Shane Bieber and Mike Clevenger. Ah. Okay, okay. 
I, I can listen to it. But the thing is, you need to turn around and reapply this because the the thought of well, it's a good move because you saved all that money. Applause, 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 like the NFL model is. And I, I always find that so weird that in the NFL, it's team saved X amount against the cap. And everyone's like, yeah, good job, good job, greedy NFL owners. And then in Major League Baseball, how dare they? They need to reapply this. Uh, such a weird dynamic. And uh, the NFL prints money. I know, I know, I know. But uh, I was trying to find who asked about it, too. Uh, I can't find it. Uh, somebody on Twitter asked about it, but it, the, the whole the whole thought to me is whatever financial uh, advantage is gained by trading a guy like Corey Kluber, mm-hmm. it needs to be reapplied. Other otherwise, hold on to the guy unless the return. And, and I'm operating under the idea that you're not going to get what you thought you were going to get for Kluber last year. I'm, I assume you're probably agreeing with me on that. So if that's the case, you're not getting back the star-level talent for a guy like Kluber that you would have envisioned last year, then you better be using that money on something toward the roster. Just po- turning around and, and pocketing that savings and saying, well, we're just getting younger, and so therefore our payroll is going down. I'm not buying that, and I don't think fans are going to buy that either. Especially not with so many useful free agents out there. With a, I mean, we, we spent couple of weeks ago talking about all the infield options that are out there and now you have 40 non-tender guys out there that should put you in even a better position where you could spend some not even a ton of money but a little bit of money to bring in some very useful players so yeah that that's that's my biggest uh thought or gripe potential gripe in a Corey Kluber trade is that that money needs to be reapplied back to the roster absolutely you mentioned it so let's touch on it real quick. Uh, friends of the podcast, Quincy and Dan both asked about some of the non-tender candidates. Do you like any of them? Travis Shaw, maybe? Cesar Hernandez? Michael I know you're, Franco? You were trying to sell me on Travis Shaw. I'm a fan. You have an extra roster spot this year. You can afford to take a risk with someone like that. And Travis Shaw had a few really good years. He had a really, really bad year. He's a local kid. Tom Hamilton would absolutely lose his shit if they signed him. So why not? And I'm all for Tom Hamilton losing his shit on any <laughs> any occasion. Yeah, Cesar Hernandez is a little intriguing. The fact that we, we talked about a lot of guys that are aging, some veterans, wrong side of 30. Cesar Hernandez is still at least 29 the fact that he's a switch hitter helps. Um, he's not a terrific hitter, but he's a little bit closer to average than Kipnis has been over the past several years. Uh, doesn't doesn't have a gigantic strikeout rate. It's not elite, but it's not awful. And in the past, he has carried some really good on-base percentages and walked a lot. Didn't do that last year. His walk rate actually dropped pretty much half from 18 to 19, which you're talking about a guy in his career that has essentially walked 10% of the time. And carries a 352 on base percentage in his career. And has been a league average bat throughout his entire career. That, that has some value to me. As sure. we talked about before, uh, it would be nice to bring in players that are going to post uh, 110, 115 WRC+. And, and maybe you still look to do that in other places. But bringing that position close to average and then also have a guy that... Um, at least can pick it a little bit. And Cesar Hernandez has played more than second base in his career, so you can move him around probably a little bit too. I, I think he's a little bit appealing. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. I, I almost want them to sign two of these guys just so they have reinforcement, a contingency plan. Because I, I don't know. I mean, I know they won't. They have Yu Chang. They like Christian Arroyo. I just I don't, I don't know. Are, are those guys good? What are they going to give you? I, I kind of like Travis Shaw's versatility, and I would I, I kind of want him just as like a backup everything. Yeah. Well, um, one then, one potential roadblock is Arroyo doesn't have any options left. Right. He's going to be on the team. Now, and I and I loved him as a buy low kind of candidate last year, and we spent some time talking about that. But I also don't think you can just hand him the position because he doesn't have options left. And 
because he's 24 and has some prospect pedigree. I think that would be absolutely foolish. Yep. Uh, Quincy also asked, what's the most underrated Christmas movie? I'm going to let you handle this one. <laughs> because you've never seen a Christmas movie in your life? Die Hard. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. No, you uh, know what I would say? I would say Jingle All the Way. Oh, yeah. That is I've fantastic. Seen, I've seen that. That was Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? It was. And yes, Sin, Turbo Man. Sinbad? Sinbad. Oh, God. Sinbad is phenomenal in that movie. <laughs> that is one. And we took... I think that movie came out, I was like in sixth grade or something like that. And I, we actually took a field trip to go watch the movie. The first time I could ever, or only time I can only envision taking a field trip to go see a movie, but we did. I remember seeing it on a school field trip. And uh, it was quite good. To this, to this day, like my brothers and I can recite lines from that uh, without uh, any sort of hesitation. As far as other underrated Christmas movies, you know what I was thinking about? Uh, if Die Hard is a Christmas movie because it takes place at Christmas, then why can't Batman Returns be a Christmas movie? The, the opening part of the, of the story is the penguin is a young child and it's snowy and around Christmas time. And then the first scene where Batman comes and is beating up bad guys, it's at the Christmas tree lighting ceremony. That is absolutely a Christmas movie. So I think Batman... Was Hayden Re Grove singing? There? Oh God! No, it was a good movie. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, a A Ron Shout on Twitter out. wants to know. What's up, bro? There's no segue here. What are your <laughs> thoughts on Daniel Jet Johnson? Could he be on the opening day roster? He could, couldn't he? Yeah, probably not, but maybe. I mean, it, it's he is a very logical replacement for Tyler Naquin. I know. I said. A couple weeks ago, Naquin, uh, I messed up his projected arbitration. It's only $1.8 I think I said like three or four. I still would like... Yeah, I got a bone to pick with you. I think Daniel Johnson can do, or has the potential to do, exactly what you are asking Naquin to do. I think they're kind of redundant. I don't know that you need both. And especially since Naquin's probably going to miss the early part of the season. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when he's uh, when he's going to be back. Um, yeah, I, but I mean, I, I he was a guy that when they traded for for him and Jeffrey last year, and they gave up Jan Gomes. Initially, it was a little confusing, but when you dug in on him a little bit, you know, it was easy to see that they love the tools that he brings. He's got an elite throwing arm. He hits the ball, scorches it all over the yard. And last year, he actually started to show glimpses of being a guy that's capable of more than just a platoon bat. I mean, I, I loved what he did last year. I think he faded a bit, maybe at the end, um, based on where he was at. I'm just trying to remember. I think his numbers were a little bit better than where they ended up. But still, a very intriguing player that I think will be factoring into their plans absolutely at some point in 2020. I mean, we were there were times last year where we were saying, or this past year, where we said, why isn't he up here? If you're going to go with the youth movement, then he should be up here. And I, nothing has changed as far as the, the sort of player I think he can be. I, I, I think he can be a, not a star, but a very, very solid player. It seems like every year in spring training, there's a guy who has a chance to play his way onto the roster. Naquin was actually that guy. Mm -hmm. a few years ago, and, and Mercado seemed like that guy last year. I mean, even da Daniel Johnson had a like a five-minute stretch last year. He did, he did. I, were, but I think we're curious about him. He's the guy this spring, and it's going to be interesting. I, I still think I could see them wanting to try out Framo Reyes in the outfield and going with Jake Bowers maybe first. Um, yeah, I could see that. And he's having a guy like Johnson – is what allows me at least some comfort knowing that he's there, a little bit of depth, that you actually have some guys in the outfield that maybe aren't great, but they're not awful, that you can spend more time addressing the infield than anything else. And if they don't bring in uh, a really consistent outfielder, while it might be a, a disappointment on some level, I, I, I don't think it's as egregious as maybe we would have felt last offseason when you're looking at the outfield and thinking, my God, what are they going to do? I mean, you still have Jordan Luplo who crushed lefties last year. It would seem to me, if, if you are putting Fran Mill in the outfield, you, Daniel Johnson and, and Jordan Luplo match up terrifically. Yep. 
I mean, that's that's that was that's what I'm saying. It's and you like, still have Bradley Zimmer. It's like what what is he going to be next year? I know a guy that was a top prospect and 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 now nothing. I I, I don't know. Bert from Sesame Street. Um, so Corey O'Dowd wants to know what's up with Tristan McKenzie. Uh, he's ready to go. The Indians have not shied away from saying it's a really important year for him. He's on the 40-man roster now, so that kind of speeds up the timeline a little bit. I would guess he starts the year, I would think, triple-A, although you know he didn't pitch a ton at double-A. So, But either way, I mean, he's a guy who you could see before the end of the year. But as we talked last podcast, like they have so many different starting pitching options in the upper yeah. levels and in the majors. So it's he's going to have to differentiate himself from the Logan Allens and the Aaron Savales and the Zach Pleasaks. And some and of that will Rodriguez. work. And some of it will work itself out as yeah. this stuff goes. So we were talking about him as being a legitimate rotation or bullpen guy last year. I don't think we spend a single second talking about Aaron Savali and Zach Pleasak and both became vital to them in the second half. So mm-hmm. shit happens. Shit happens. That'd be a good uh, title for this podcast. Uh, Not it's turbo time. Yeah, actually, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, what do contract extensions look for? Look like for Bieber and Clevenger? Matt Hummel on Twitter would like to know that. I'm bad at this game. Well, yeah. I mean, we're not sitting here with our fancy projection systems. I could go off of what I can find <laughs> online from people's way smarter than me. Um, you know what I thought though would make sense for both of them. If you sort of applied the Corey Kluber extension, the original Corey Kluber extension, not the one with all the escalators once he won the Cy Young again and had all his uh, high finishers that pushed some of his, uh, like this year, the 17 and a half million was originally what? 13 and a half, I think. And maybe next year's 18 was 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like that. But I, I kind of look at the that as a baseline because if you look at the projection for Clevenger this year, his first year arbitration eligible, so you got three years of control on him. That lines up almost perfectly with what they paid Kluber in his when, the first year of arbitration that they bought out. And so I'm, if I'm remembering it correctly, they signed him with the extension in 2015, so that covered one year pre-arb. And then it's three years of arbitration. And then everything now in the back half with the options and whatnot. So if you look at that projection for Clevenger, which is about $4.5 million, a little bit more, and that first year Kluber in his uh, bought-out extension years, it, it almost lines up perfectly. So if I use that as a baseline and I say, give Clevenger something that resembles what Kluber had from 16 on, where it's like 4.7, 7.7, 10.7 that covers the three arbitration years and then you offer him whether it's two option years or a year guaranteed plus two option years something on the back half would make some sense but the other thing that lines up almost perfectly with with Clevenger is that Kluber was a late bloomer and got his extension at the age of 28 I think and what is Clevenger now 28 yeah well, just about to turn 29. It's almost, they're almost identical as far as that goes. So to me, I think that lines up extremely well for, Cle- for a Clevenger extension. I don't, I don't know if he would sign something similar, but if you're looking for something the organization has done in the past, we're not talking about the Carrasco, either of the Carrasco extensions because nobody is accepting that other than Carlos, uh, just because he loves being here and obviously has had his health scares in the past. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You go 4.7, 7.7, 10.7 is kind of the baseline. Then you have whether it's one more guaranteed year in an option or two option years, but something where it inflates to you know that 14, 15, 16 million dollar range, and, and up from there. I feel like he should do that too. I mean, obviously there's two sides to all of these, but you know you're not seeing at least when Kluber signed it, you could make the argument maybe what, five years ago that we didn't know what how free agency was going to basically just start freezing for any player over the age of, like, 31. Um, but then you also think about, like, the, you know, the CBA's coming to an end, and no one knows what changes are going to be made, so it's going to be interesting to see 
maybe some players want to wait and, and see what happens with that before they commit to anything. Yeah. I mean, Clevenger, there's two ways to look at this for Clevenger. He had, he, he had a breakthrough that resembled nothing like we'd ever really anticipated, where he is pitching like a legitimate ace. The other part of that is he also got hurt last year, and mm-hmm. that's always a possibility for a pitcher. So do you want to jump on the guaranteed money now? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't ultimately know what the motivation will be, but the fact that there is so much uncertainty in years moving forward, maybe that plays into it. Maybe, maybe he bets on himself. I don't know. But I thought the Kluber extension where it was, you know, sort of in the 5, 8, 11, you know, 14 range as far as escalators go per year seemed to make sense to me. And then if you, if you almost apply the same sort of thing to Bieber, the, the thing that you could do with Bieber, because <clears throat> he's still got two pre-arb years before he even gets to arbitration, how you can make it appealing to him is, well, Shane, we're not going to give you 600 k like you would have earned. We're instead going to give you a million and a half to two million bucks right now, these two years. So we're paying you more up front. You know, we'll triple your, your current salary for the next two years. And then on the back end, it'll be a little bit cheaper. And then maybe you follow a similar scale that you, would, you were just following with, with Clevenger. But the benefit there for him is we're going to give you more than you would have earned the next two years just being on your normal pre-arb salary. Make sense? Like Works Kluber, for me. The Kluber one in 2015, he got $1.2 million. And that was in a uh, pre-arb year. He only had two years of service time at that point. So he's not earning the 500 k at that point, which would have been the, the league minimum. You gave him a million point two. So you're, you're up a little bit for, for Bieber, and you say, we'll buy out these, or we'll give you the, the, the raise here in the, your two pre-arb years. We'll buy out your arbitration years in a similar escalating pattern that we were just talking about to Clevenger. And then on the back end, you get uh, maybe a couple of club options. So you end up picking two more years up of control that you wouldn't have had before. And for the Indians, you're guaranteeing that you're getting more money up front or giving more money up front. Makes sense, but uh, who knows? I know, it's, it, I know it's complicated to work through. And God, I'd, somebody, <laughs> maybe the title should, of this should be somebody way smarter than me. Somebody way smarter than me could work through this and probably come away with something so much better. But, I mean, if you look at the projections for the next few years for Shane Bieber, they're through the roof. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're always worried about an injury. and Nothing really can be done about projecting that. But as far as performance goes on the field, it's like as safe as a bet as you could get. I feel if, the projections I, like. if, if I was a professional athlete, I would take the first long-term offer any team ever, <laughs> ever sent me. Unless you were Francisco Lindor, and then you just... Spit in the face. I spit in the face of people who don't want to pay me over $200 million. Sorry, that was a bad Carlito from WWE. Sure. Uh, real quick, Bearded Nerd wants to know what TV show you're watching. Uh, Peaky Blinders. Okay. I will never forget Jason Beret explaining that show to me. Um, <laughs> and just and he's he had like the most monotone voice, and it was like barely above a whisper, and it was... It was his sales pitch to try to get me to, uh, Jordan Bastian to watch the show. It, he didn't do a very good job. But, um, all right, I've got a random. I, I, mean, I have I have no idea what your idea of a good TV show is or a good movie. So I would have no idea how to sell it to you. I I got. Nothing. I have to be in the right frame of mind for it not to be a comedy. Like I need a comedy, otherwise, I just I have no attention span anymore because I have to watch baseball every day. Oh yeah, I mean you have to you have to physically tie me to the chair and and put the toothpicks in my eyes to make me watch the first two episodes before I will actually willingly fire up the third. So it is really difficult for me to start a show or even start a movie. But once I do, then I'm in, and I, I'm I'm in season two now of Peaky Blinders. I think there's five seasons, but there's only six episodes per season, so it makes it really easy to knock them out. And also, there's a lot of people getting knocked out in the show. Spoiler alert. All right, I have a random minion of the day for you. Shoot away. We'll pay back for your Matt Luke one last time. Uh, all right, this player played 28 games for the Indians in 1999. Oh, I know exactly who it is. 
I don't know exactly who it is. 1999? Yeah. Uh, Jacob Cruz. No. He had 96 plate appearances. He hit one home run, posted a 271, 354, 329 slash line. A little Yasiel Puig-esque. 11 walks, 10 strikeouts. Mm. Oh, the Indians... I mean, I'm assuming you don't have a guess yet. No, nothing yet. The Indians... Acquired him in at the end of August, a waiver deal for two minor leaguers named Jimmy Hamilton and Juan Aracena. They regret that one. And he actually, did I tell you what team they got him from? No. Okay. I kind of don't want to. <laughs> he... He became a free agent and then re-signed with the team that traded him to the Indians. And then that team traded him again the next trade deadline. Ah, uh, of course. Michael Martinez, <laughs> senior. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that team. I don't, I don't know. He played for five teams in his major league career. Cleveland, Texas, Oakland, Baltimore, Chicago. What position? He was a right fielder. Right fielder. <sighs> Though with the Indians, he spent time at DH. In 99? In fact, did he spend all of his time at DH? Did he spend? Uh, was was he with the team for the rest of '99? He was with what? the team for the last month and four days of '99. And what was the slash line again? Two seventy one, three fifty four, three twenty nine. And he was with. Five different teams over his career, you said? Five different teams. List them again. Indians, Rangers, Orioles, White Sox, Athletics. Is it Harold Baines? It is Hall of Famer Harold Baines, who incredibly was an all-star in 99 at the age of 40. Um... And then traded to the Indians for next to nothing. And then went, he was traded by the Orioles. Went back to Baltimore. Then they traded him to Chicago, which is where he started his career. Uh, yeah, Hall of Famer somehow. He's 820 career OPS. 2,866 hits. 384 home runs. And I have, and I have no recollection of him doing anything other than DHing in his career. Well, no. I know every they had the juiced ball for the ALDS that year with the Indians and Red Sox. Remember, <laughs> that's the Red Sox, they tested it out. The Red Troy Sox O'Leary is forty-four <laughs> runs in games three, four, and five. Troy O'Leary um, in some multiverse is still crushing three-run home runs. And Harold Baines hit three fifty-seven with a OPS over a thousand in that series. Oh my God! Oh wow! So I picked him because last year at the winter meetings, he was elected to the Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee. Yeah. And I will never forget. I mean, there was, there was some outrage saying like, hey, Harold Baines is a Hall of Famer. Then like, we're going to have to let in so many people because it really lowers the qualifications of, of what you need to make the Hall of Fame. And he had, a, he had a really nice career. I mean, he was a good player for a long time. Made one, two, three, four, five all-star teams. Um. But like he was, you know, he he was never top eight for MVP. He played for a long time. He never hit more than twenty nine home runs in a season. I mean, he, he was never, a really. I mean, he was a g- very good hitter. I don't want to sure, sound short, but he, he yes, but he was also a DH most of his career. Uh-huh. And he he never had two hundred hits in a season. He played a long time. I mean, I yeah, but he's probably. Do we agree he shouldn't be a Hall of Famer? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. So at the winter meetings last year, I hop on the elevator, and Harold Reynolds 
gets on the elevator and I I said, Hey Harold, how are you? And you know, the news that day was Harold Baines got elected. So I was like, Oh, what do you think of Harold Baines? And I'm expecting him to say, you know, like I was surprised, like I didn't really think he's a Hall of Famer, but and he goes, Man, it's so long overdue. And that was the quietest, most awkward elevator ride after that sentence that I've ever been on. But that's what you get when you ask a Herald about another Herald. That's a good point. You know, they're going to stick up for each other. Well, you can subscribe to the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Really, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find it. And if you'd like to help support the podcast, bring it to you every single week and sometimes more than once. You can find our page over at Anchor. You can support the podcast and help keep us going. You can find the links at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. And if you have any other complaints about anything else Zach has written, he is looking forward to reading it. (laughs) Do you think that we made anybody's Spotify year in review top five listens? Yes. Or decade in review? (laughs) <laughs> the podcast of the decade yeah my own because i have like seven minutes of podcast listening time to us on spotify because i don't listen to podcasts on spotify however m- me being the the type of person i am where i am always curious to make sure everything's working as it should across all platforms i have on very limited occasions, pulled it up on Spotify and clicked play to make sure that it works. And I would say if I didn't use Apple Podcasts, which is just, I'm, I'm so used to it, I, I'm not going to change now. If I wasn't using Apple Podcasts, I would probably use Spotify because the interface is pretty simple. But I have seven minutes of listening time to our podcast. It told me this as I looked t- today at my decade in review. Seven minutes worth of, of podcast listening time, which is more than the average person can stand. Well, thank you for your support. That's really appreciated. <laughs> Got to inflate those numbers somehow. You know that. I will say, I am shocked. Usually in the offseason, you expect your listenership is going to drop off because there's not a lot happening. I don't think anyone's like, Santa Leone, head of the Selvia's Godcast, baby! I don't think that's happening. <laughs> Uh, but our listenership has been steady like we normally do. So I have to give a shout out to our listeners uh, for uh, keeping us going, one, but sticking with us and being passionate as hell that we get this podcast out every single week. You guys are incredible. They are, and we appreciate the interactions when we ask for ideas, whether it's on on Twitter, email, carrier pigeon. Uh, It's appreciated. And, yeah, thanks for sticking with us as we try to figure out the best ways to do this, the most technically effective ways to do this. Uh, I will say, I mean, we should have plenty to talk about next week. You can expect to hear us plenty of times, I would think, right? How many times do you want to do, like, five podcasts next week? Yeah, it's just going to be a soundboard for me on this end. Yes, Zach, that sounds great. (laughs) Well, you'll probably still be texting back all the people you've ignored for the last hour. That sounds good. Yeah, I I need to get back to that. I've got HBD trades in my inbox. One league, my team just sucks. I'm trading all my players away. I don't care. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to opening up and seeing tons of new trade chats. That will be the highlight of my evening. If that's the case, then I will be a very happy man. Sounds good. Well, pour one out for Eric Stamets and Max Moroff tonight. We'll miss you. Take care. See ya. The Selbius Godcast featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at SelbyIsGodcast. Thanks for listening. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. 
Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.